Bibles, if you would, to the book of Jeremiah. I'm breaking one of the cardinal rules of being a pastor and not really preaching a Christmas message in December. <clears throat> You'll have to come back next week, hopefully. Uh, but, you know, the, the one thing that I try to do uh, is I try to preach and teach what God would have me preach and teach. So um, this is what you get. So, uh, you know, in reality, though, anything anything about the Bible ultimately is about Christmas, is it not? <laughs> so you can look at it that way if you want. But this is that the story we're going to be reading, reading and talking about this morning is a very, a very familiar uh, story to many of you here this morning. Uh, I have referenced it many, many times in multiple sermons, but uh, um, it is a story that I, if I have, I cannot remember ever preaching an entire message on this story. Um, so, uh, uh, in order to really get the the impact of i think the impact of of the story we need to um kind of give some background information if you would uh to what is going on in jeremiah's day um because i think as we understand what is going on in the world then we will understand better what god is trying to communicate in the book of jeremiah so the book of Jeremiah, the penman or the writer, uh, is Jeremiah. Okay, God is the author. Jeremiah is his instrument. And uh, God uses Jeremiah to write, the, obviously, the book of Jeremiah. Uh, we know that because of Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, the words of Jeremiah, the sons of Hilkiah, uh, of the priests that were uh, in Athanon, Athanoth, um, in the land of Benjamin. So um, the book was written uh, about 530 to 5, uh, no, excuse me, 630 to 580 BC. So roughly 600 years before Christ was born. Um, again, so putting it into context, um, the book of Jeremiah. The purpose of the book of Jeremiah, and, th and this is really important because if we, if we understand the purpose of the book, then we understand the context of what the, the story we're going to be reading here in a few minutes. The Assyrians had already come down and taken captive the northern, the northern ten tribes of Israel. The book of Jeremiah is written to the northern two tribes, uh, or excuse me, the southern two tribes of Israel which would include the city of Jerusalem, which is the capital, if you would. Okay, So the, this is, what, this is the, the, the setting that this is taking place in. And so the Assyrians have come down. They've taken captive the northern ten tribes and taken them back to Assyria. And God is putting in place another nation that's going to come and take captive, if you would, the southern two tribes and the city of Jerusalem. Anybody know who that nation is? No, Babylon. Okay, Babylon. So Babylon is, God is preparing the nation of Babylon to come and, for lack of better terms, 
teach, teach Israel a lesson. Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, is a call for national repentance. God will save the nation if you will repent. And that it, that's a very simplistic um, uh, overview of the book, but that's basically what Jeremiah is doing. He's pleading with the nation to repent. Uh, a couple of key verses uh, in the book, uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, in verse 5 it says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet unto the nation. So uh, there's a lot in this in this verse that we are not going to be able to cover this morning. But the fact that God knew Jeremiah before he was even conceived. There's a really important scriptural truth in this. The fact is this, God knew you before you were conceived. There's nothing special about Jeremiah. God knows everyone. He knows your name before you're conceived. Pretty cool. Anyway, uh, another key, couple of key verses here. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 17, uh, in verses 9 and 10, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his will and according to the fruit of his doing. What it, what is the theme then? A, 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 sim, a very simplistic theme to the book of Jeremiah would be this: God wants their hearts, because God knows their hearts. God tries their hearts, and the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Only God knows the heart. And God wants the heart of the, the nation of Israel. So, <clears throat> the title of my message is this, The Potter and the Clay. <clears throat> the Potter and the Clay. Um, uh, Jeremiah chapter 18. Did I tell you to turn there? Okay, good. So hopefully you're there by now. Um, uh, let's start reading in verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord. Behold, as the, pot, excuse me, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. And Lord, thank you for the word of God that can help mold us and shape us the way you want us to be. We love you and we thank you this morning. And we ask that you would speak to our hearts. We ask that you would help us to put away the busyness of life this morning for just a few moments so that we can concentrate on your word. We love you and we thank you. 
It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Boy, for such a little person, she makes a lot of noise. Oh, it's that one. Oh, okay. I was, th- I was thinking, man, I can't believe that one's got such a voice. Oh, okay. <clears throat> man. Um, in Jeremiah chapter 18, these events that take place more than likely was under the reign of Jehoiakim, the, the king of Israel. Jehoiakim, well, let me give you a description of Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim, in 2 Corinthians chapter 36, verses 5 and 6, God said that it says Jehoiakim was 20 and 5 years old when he uh, began to reign. And he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Against him came up Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and brought him in fetters and carried him to Babylon. So Nebuchadnezzar, uh, 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 Jehoiakim was a wicked king. He was nothing like his father. His, father, his father's name was uh, Josiah, and Josiah was a godly king. But something happened uh, in their home, and Josiah did not communicate the godly character uh, to Jehoiakim, and he was a wicked, wicked king. So um, when Jeremiah was writing, more than likely this story that we just read was, was uh, experienced under the reign of Jehoiakim. <clears throat> Jehoiakim was not interested in the things of God. He was not interested in anything that Jeremiah had to say. My first point this morning, I want to look at the sovereignty of God. This story reveals the sovereignty of God like like hardly any other story in the Bible does. In the Hebrew vocabulary, there are over 30 words in the Hebrew vocabulary referring directly to pottery. I want you to let that sink in for a minute. The manufacturing of pottery was a major industry uh, during this time. You know, it's um, you know we have we have Tupperware and Rubbermaid and Ziploc bags and everything else now, and but back then they didn't have all that, obviously. And they they had pots, and that that's how they kept things. And pottery not only was it a prominent industry, it was a it was an it was an an incredibly important uh, um, uh, industry. But God had a special message that He wanted to reveal to Jeremiah. What's interesting as we as we go through this story. After Jeremiah experiences this, he preaches a sermon to the, to, the, to the nation of Israel, basically telling them to repent. And you know what he got for his sermon? He got thrown in jail. Praise God I don't live when Jeremiah lives. 
But anyway, I have a picture for you here. Um, this is this is what would be a a, a potter's wheel, if you would, uh, during that time period. Um, so this is probably something very similar to what Jeremiah would have seen. <clears throat> As Jeremiah watched the potter work the clay, what is the what is the this story about the the story is really about one thing, and that is the clay resisted the potter. So what does the potter do? The potter just keeps working the clay and working the clay and working and until the clay gives in. And when the clay gives in, then and only then can he make a beautiful piece of pottery. It's a beautiful picture of the patience of God in the life of Israel. Charles Jefferson wrote this. He did not get the flash of insight while he was praying, but while he was watching the potter engage in his daily work. God reveals himself in strange places and at unexpected seasons. For instance, he once revealed himself in a stable. What a beautiful picture of God and his patience and his willing to work with the nation of Israel. The sovereignty of God. One of my favorite theologians that I read a lot is a guy named Phillips Brooks. But he was known as a very quiet, very poised individual, very mild-mannered guy. But at times, however, he did suffer from frustration and irritation, just like all of us do. And one day, a friend of his saw him pacing the floor like a caged animal. Have you ever done that? I know I have. And he, and, and he, and he, says, he says, what is the problem? What, what's, what's bothering you? And he said, and this is, this is his reply. <clears throat> he said, the problem is that I am in a hurry, but God isn't. <laughs> have you ever been there? Absolutely. We want it. Bless God, we want it right now, don't we? But God is patient. And he, and he works in our lives constantly. Some of the greatest missionary efforts that the, that, that the world has ever known took long periods of time before fruit was seen. Example, William Carey worked seven years before his first Hindu convert was brought to Christ in Burma. Adnayam Judson worked, uh, worked seven years as well before his faithful preaching saw rewards. In Western Africa, it was 14 years before the first convert was seen. In New Zealand, it took nine years. In Tahiti, it was over 16 years before the harvest of souls began 
And so often in our lives, we, we get impatient. We, we want to see results and we want to see them now. But that's not how God works. Just yesterday, I had the privilege of trying to witness to someone. And, and I, I tried my best, but they're hard. The, the heart was hard. So I left them with some, some challenges from the Word of God and some, some insight from God. And, I, and, and what, what is my hope? My hope is that God will start to soften the clay. And the more that I see this individual, the more I can work with them, hopefully the clay will get softer. But what, what, what was my problem last night? Bless God, I wanted to see the guy saved last night. But you know, that's not how God always works. He doesn't work on our timetable. He works on his. The purpose of God often develops slowly. But it, it, it develops into a beautiful, grand design that we could never even imagine in our wildest imaginations if we will but let God do the work. The sovereignty of God should be a great source of comfort to us, knowing that He is in control of the events of this world even today. You think, you think we have problems in our world today. We, we are living a picnic compared to what it was like in Jeremiah's day. The Assyrians had taken the northern ten tribes. The Assyrians were a brutal, ruthless people. And guess who, guess who conquered the Assyrians? The Babylonians. You think they were better than the, than the Assyrians? No. They too were ruthless. And, they, and Jeremiah knew as he was preaching, he knew he was crying for repentance, but God had already showed him that the people would not repent. So he knew what, what the future held. But yet he could pillow his night every he could pillow his head every night and sleep because he knew God ultimately was in control. The sovereignty of God. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, it says, my, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Knowing that God is in control of everything should be a great source of comfort for us. The sovereignty of God. Next, I want to talk about the interpretation, the interpretation of the story that we read. Let's start reading again in verse six. It says, "O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as the potter?" saith the Lord. Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and pull down and to destroy it? If the nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I have thought to do unto them. And at what instant 
I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to uh, plant it. If it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I, I said and will and and would benefit them here the the interpretation uh, is on a national level uh, the God uh, uh, Jeremiah God through Jeremiah is specifically talking to the nation of Israel and he and and they, excuse me and Jeremiah's preaching uh, is to try and get the people to repent. And the picture of the potter having power and authority over a piece of clay is a wonderful picture of the power and the authority of God over nations. God is a is is very active in the world then, and he is very active in the world today. God's actions are always consistent with his nature. The fact that he is holy, he's just, he's wise, he's loving, and we could go on and on and on. God's actions are always consistent with his nature. You know, as I was, as I was studying this, the, the thought came to me, you know what? God doesn't need to come to me for advice. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I know that's I know that's mind-boggling to you, <clears throat> but God doesn't need me. He doesn't come to me and say, "Hey, Rick, I got a problem." You know, Bob's acting up again. You know, what am I gonna do? You know, he. <laughs> that's a daily conversation, by the way. Uh, but, you know, God doesn't do that. He doesn't need me, nor do I have the right to criticize what he does. I don't. Romans chapter 11, verse 34. For who hath known the mind of God, or who hath been his counselor? Not me. Romans chapter 9, verses 20 and 21. It says, uh, Nay, but, O man, thou art... Uh, uh, who art thou that uh, repliest uh, against God? Shall thine uh, former, excuse me, shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, what hast thou made me thus? That's a good question. I have yet to see a piece of pottery speak back to, a, to the potter and say, hey, well, I wanted to be a bowl, man. Why I don't like flowers. I'm allergic to them, you know. No. Verse 21. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make another to, to make one vessel of honor and another to dishonor? Absolutely. It's the potter's choice to do with the clay as he will. As I was reading this passage the other day, I 
thought about the fact that we literally are clay. Are we not? I shared, I shared this a while back. I, I think it was on a Sunday night. I can't remember. But my pastor of 20 years used to say all the time that we are nothing but glorified dirt balls. Are we not? Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. And the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into, the, into his nostrils uh, the breath of life and he became a what? A living soul. We're nothing but glorified dirt balls. The Lord gave us this scenario here with the potter and the clay to illustrate, I think one of the reasons is to illustrate his sovereignty over the nations. In verse 8, we see here the, the fact that he says here very simply, if you repent... If you will turn away from your evilness and you will repent and turn back to me, then I will, I will not destroy your nation. In fact, I will bless your nation. And we know this is true because of the book of Jonah. In Jonah chapter 3 and verse 10, it says, And God saw their works and uh, that they had turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said and that he would uh, do unto them, and he did it not. God is a, had the nation of Israel repented, the, 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 the world today would look a whole lot different than it does. God never changes his character. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, Ye, sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Warren Wiersbe wrote this, To be sure, uh, there's a mystery involved in the relationship between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. But we uh, don't have to explain the will of God before we can obey it. We live by divine promise and precepts not theological explanations. And God isn't obligated to explain anything to us. All we need to do is be obedient to His will for our lives. Allow Him to work the clay. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are uh, revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we <clears throat> may do all the words of the law. So number three, so we've talked about the sovereignty of God. We talked about the interpretation of the passage. Now let's get down to where the rubber meets the road. The, the rubber meets the road. Let's apply the truths of this passage to our lives today. Application. Verse 11. Now therefore go to uh, speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I framed evil against you and devised uh, 
a device against you. Return ye now every one from your evil way and make your ways and doings good. What is the the evil that God had prepared before the, the children of Israel? It's called the nation of Babylon. God had put the nation of Babylon in place and, and had, the, had the children of Israel repented, God would have stayed the punishment. But Jeremiah knew then that they weren't going to do it. Now, when you read the Bible, there should be two questions that you're constantly asking yourselves about the Bible. The first one is the interpretation. What There's always one interpretation when you're reading the Bible. The interpretation in this passage that we're reading is that Jeremiah is talking directly to the nation of Israel. That's the interpretation. Now, the second question is, what application can I make? There's always only one interpretation, but there can be multiple applications. Okay? So let's talk about some of these. Uh, It could be, the application absolutely could be to the nation of Israel, right? God wanted them to repent. It could be to the people within the nation of Israel, right? Absolutely, you can make that application. Uh, It could be uh, related to the people outside the nation of Israel. Absolutely. But the one I want to talk about this morning is the application for us today. We can absolutely apply every one of these truths to our lives today. How can you do that? If God is speaking to the nation, how can we apply it to us today? It's really simple because as God, as, as God through, through Jeremiah is speaking to the nation of Israel, what is a nation made up of? People. So in essence, he may be speaking to the nation, but he's really speaking to each individual. And oftentimes as we read the Bible, we can put that away and say, hey, that doesn't apply to me. No, it absolutely applies to us. The personal responsibility to make right and godly decisions back then still apply today. It is our responsibility to walk with God. It is our responsibility to make good and right choices. Because ultimately, as, as I make choices, does that, do not my choices and your choices ultimately, eventually affect the nation, the, the, choice, the, the direction of our nation as a whole? Absolutely. You think, wait, wait a second, I'm just one person. Well, but we're all part of one great nation. Behold, if my people, which are called by my name, shall what? Humble themselves. And what? Seek my face. And turn from their wicked ways. Then will you hear from heaven. See, the problem with our country is not the government. 
The problem with our country is not in Washington, D.C. The problem with our country is in our churches. Because God's people are not doing right. See, God uses different potters in your life. See, we as we unlike the clay in the picture, we have the choice to resist the potter. But see, God uses different potters in our lives to form us and to <coughs> excuse me, make us into what he ultimate <coughs> excuse me, what he ultimately wants us to be. Let me let me name a few of the potters that he has in your life. Your parents, your siblings, teachers, pastors, friends, circumstances, your health. All of these things God can use to, okay, you want to resist me? Guess what? Your circumstances can change on a dime. Your health can go south very quickly. Why? Because ultimately, what is God going to do? He's going to work you until you quit resisting him. We ultimately, please, if you don't get anything, please get this this morning. We ultimately choose to fight against the potters that God puts into our lives. Or we choose to be molded. The choice is ours. It's really, it really is that simple. The, the, the people in, in, in Jeremiah's day chose to not serve God. They, they made their choice. But I want to talk here for just a second because this is, this is critical to understanding. This story is not about King Jehoiakim, the wicked king. It's not about him. It's, it's not about Jeremiah. It's not about the potter. It's not even really about Israel. So what is the story about? The story is about the hearts of the people of Israel. See, God is after the hearts of the individuals within the corporate, if you would, nation of Israel. He was after their hearts. And guess what God is after today here at Grace Baptist Church? Your heart. Why? Because if we will give our hearts to God and not resist Him, He will take us and mold us and shape us into a beautiful vessel. That's what this story is about. The famous Scottish preacher named Alexander White used to say, the victorious 
Christian life is always a series of new beginnings. It's always a series of new beginnings. It's, it, is, it is us surrendering our lives to God so that God can mold us and to make us into something really beautiful. God is always there patiently waiting, working in our lives. All we need to do is choose to let him work. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, there have been some, some, some individuals in Scripture that have been the resistant lumps of clay that finally gave up and let God do some great things through them. Let me read you a list of just a few. Abraham, Moses, David, Jonah, Paul, Peter, and I could go on and on. Men of great faith and women of great faith who have uh, of <clears throat> surrendered their lives to God. They've given their hearts to Jesus Christ and they've said, here, make something beautiful out of my mess. Let me close with this. William Chapman wrote this. The clay is not attractive in itself, but when the hands of the potter touch it, and the thought of the potter is brought to bear upon it, and the plan of the potter is worked out in its uh, worked out in it and through it, then there is real transformation. See, uh, uh, in ourselves we are nothing but lumps of clay, but when we allow the hand of the potter to work within us and to move within us and to shape us and to make us into something really beautiful, then we can be transformed into a great vessel. Now let me, I said that in closing. Let me say this in closing. So I'm going to close again. In that day, behind every potter's house was a field. They call it the potter's field. Do you know what the potter's field was full of? Lumps of clay that refused to be worked. Lumps of clay that just absolutely frustrated the potter. He would, the potter would work it and 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 work it. And then finally he would get so frustrated, he'd just scoop it off and throw it in the, in the field. I don't want to be that kind of believer. I don't want to be the kind of, kind of Christian that said, God gets so frustrated with me. He says, okay, Rick, I'm just going to put you in the field and you know, I'll see you in heaven one day. I don't want to be that way. I want to be a vessel that God takes and shames into a, into a vessel 
of beauty and usefulness. But it starts with me. Not him, but with me. And here at the Christmas season, I can think of no better time than to surrender our lives to the one who came some 2,000 years ago to give his life so that he could take your life and make something beautiful out of it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love, for the work you do in our lives. And I, I am so thankful, so thankful for your love. And Lord, as we bring our service to an end, I do ask that you would speak to our hearts and that you would encourage us and that you would help us to surrender our lives. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you, is there anybody who would say, Pastor?